Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. We've been talking about this principle and this idea of think time and honoring God's word, honoring in our honoring God's word. We're discovering that it's it's truly honoring God and his word that allows it to prosper and produce in our lives. I don't know about you, but I I don't want to go through life without the word showing evidence and and results in my life. Amen. And I know this to be true that my, that God's word works. God's word works. But what we're discovering is we have to work the word a little bit. Amen. We've got to work the word. I know God's word works. I know if I apply it to any situation, I will see it come to pass. It will produce results in my life. Amen. But I've got to do, there, there's some, some responsibility on my part and, and some activity on my part. What am I doing with the word? And so we're discovering that there's some steps to seeing uh, the word produce. First, we got to hear the word, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the word is that first step. I can't expect the, the seed to produce a harvest if I don't first put it in the ground. And so we saw back there in Mark chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 13 uh, that it says the, the sower sows the word, right? And so as the word's going forth, whether I'm hearing it uh, on a Sunday night or Sunday morning, on a Wednesday night, uh, through a podcast, in my own daily devotion, however I'm receiving the word, I've got to put myself in an environment where the word is being spoken. Here's what I do know, that I will build faith in whatever I hear. I will build faith in whatever I hear. So, you know, that, that puts me in a position, I need to be careful what I'm hearing. I need to be careful what I'm putting my ears in front of and my eyes in front of, my, my ear gate and my eye gate. Uh, I, I have to be careful um, uh, what, what environments I'm putting myself in because whether I realize it or not, it's feeding me. It's feeding me. And it's not just feeding you in your intellect and in your mental capacity. It's feeding your spirit. It's either feeding your spirit sustenance to strengthen it and to build it and to develop it, or it's tearing down your spirit. Tearing down your spirit and feeding another capacity of your life called your, your soul realm or your mental realm or your flesh realm or your carnal realm, right? I got to be careful because if I'm feeding my flesh more than I'm feeding my spirit, guess what? Whichever one I feed gets stronger. You know, last year showed us, again, what we're feeding on. Because what you feed on is what gets produced in times of struggle and in times of challenge. That, that's just the bottom line is you, you really don't know what you're depositing until there's a demand that's made to draw it out. And you know what draws that out? The struggles and the trials and the challenges of life. Jesus didn't promise that we would live this carefree life. He just said that if you do the right things beforehand, proactively, when those things come, you're going to stand strong. Stand therefore, right? When you've done all to stand, stand. 
I don't want to have done all to stand and then sit. Right? I don't want to look the part on the outside, but when the trial really shows up, the world finds me sitting down or worn out or tired or born out, you know, uh, 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 burn out or just, you know, wanting for God's exit strategy to get to heaven. How many times did we hear that last year? Oh, Lord, just take us home. Oh, it's getting so. No, this is the reason why you're here. That's the reason why if you go home, we ain't got nothing. No, we need the church in the earth right now to rise up to its destiny and rise up to its call and rise up to be light in. You can't have light in darkness if there is no darkness. Right? We got work to do. This is the stuff that, that, that gets us to rise up. This is the stuff that pulls out of us everything you were created and destined for. Bring on another 2020. Bring, I don't care. Bring it on. Bring it on 10 times worse. We're going to stand strong. Now, your flesh wants out. Your flesh doesn't want to deal with it, but your spirit man on the inside is saying, man, give me some more. Bring it. I'll be the answer all day long. I'll point people to Jesus. I'll get them in the kingdom. We'll see restoration. We'll see redemption. We'll see healing. We'll see miracles. We'll see, we'll see the things that we've only been reading about to this point. We'll see it take place. The church was born and thrived in the midst of persecution. It didn't, take, it didn't tear down the church. It actually woke it up. Go back and read it. Acts chapter, or, or, or the book of Acts wasn't a cakewalk. They're getting killed left and right. And, and the brethren grew daily. The disciples were being added to daily. 3,000 coming in, 5,000 coming in, souls coming in the kingdom of God. They're, they're having these meetings all over, all over the city and people's houses. People are hungry. People are saying, man, we want what you're talking about. We, we see in Acts chapter 10, a Roman centurion and his entire family comes to Christ, gets filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is speaking in tongues, get baptized in water. They were the ones that killed Jesus. This is the dynamic transforming power of the word of God when it gets inside of a believer and then they put it to practice. This is what can happen in the world today. So it starts with hearing the word. But from there, you know, many of us skipped over this step that we're talking about uh, in the thinking, in the meditating portion of life. And we went right to, I got to do the word. I got to do the word. I got to do the word. Here's, I can't just be a hearer. I got to be a doer. And if, I, if I'm not a doer, then I can't be a producer. But we're finding that there's a step that we skip between hearing and doing, and it's called thinking. It's called thinking. It's this idea of meditation. It's this idea of dwelling on the word. And we recognize this. We don't truly honor God if we don't give his word think time. We, we do not truly honor God if we don't give his word think time. What does that mean? That simply means that what I hear I'm now dwelling on and chewing on repeatedly. We saw the word habitually, right? We saw the word consistently. We saw the word continually. These are the words uh, that ought to identify and exemplify the life of the believer when it comes to the word of God. When it comes to the word of God. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I make no apologies for being a word pastor and for this church being a word church. This church will never be built on anything else but the word of God. Everything else will crumble. Everything else will fall away. 
there have been there has been dispensation after dispensation after dispensation in, in in the history of Christianity, but it's only the ones that maintained a level of standing on the Word of God and building their ministries or building their churches or or building their uh, 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 congregations on the Word that stood the test of time. I thank God for the supernatural. I thank God for miracles, signs, and wonders. I thank God for, for uh, all the gifts of the Spirit in operation. But we are going to be a word-first church. Period. And we're not following the trends. We're not trying to keep up with the Joneses. We're, we're not trying to integrate things that capture the crowd of that moment. Man, you get wore out doing that kind of stuff. You just stay with the word. Just stay with the word. Just build that foundation. Because it's the word that's going to change your life. It's the word that's going to make you new. It's the word that's going to heal your marriage. It's the word that's going to heal your body. It's the word that's going to get your kids uh, you know, out of environments that they shouldn't be. And it's the word that's going to save and redeem and restore. It's the word. You know, in, Ma- in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said this. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world. And then the end will come. That's what's going to bring the end, is the gospel of the kingdom being preached to all the world. And then the end will come. It's the gospel of the kingdom. It's the gospel. It's the good news about the kingdom of God. Amen. And so with that, with being word first, we have to honor his word. We also saw this, that how I treat God's word is ultimately how I treat God. And you know this to be true. Parents, you know this to be true. How, you, how your kids treat you is greatly revealed in what they do with your word. You tell them to go do, go do this or you tell them not to do that. I mean, God takes his word personally. The Bible tells us that God and his word are inseparable. And so if I'm going to honor God, if I say I honor God, then I have to honor his word. And again, the greatest investment you, that, that uh, honor demands is time. The greatest investment that honor demands is time. Am I giving it time? Am I giving the word time? So we're talking about what you do after you hear the word. We're talking about what you do after the word is ministered. A lot of us sometimes have this idea, okay, I did my church thing. I checked my box. I went to church. I heard the pastor. He preached a good sermon, three points, took up an offering. We went to Cracker Barrel or we went to Cheddar's or whatever your go-to Sunday place is. I did my Sunday thing. I did my church thing. No, you're just getting started. You're just getting started. We're talking about what you do after the seed is sown. And we also said this, you might remember this, we said about meditation, that meditation is not for the uh, task of getting something in you. It's for the task of getting something out of you. That's why we meditate. I'm sowing the seed. I'm putting the seed in the ground. Right now, I'm putting the seed in the ground. But meditation is to ensure that the seed that goes in the ground continues to grow and becomes fruitful and produces a harvest. That's why we meditate. 
If you don't care about a harvest, if you don't care about producing anything from the word that's being ministered, then you don't need to meditate. You don't need to think on the word. But if you are interested in what God is interested in, not just hearers, but doers and ultimately producers of the word, then I'm going to have to give it some think time. I'm going to have to dwell on it. I'm going to have to meditate on his word. And man, last week the Lord showed me, I think I said it last week in Joshua chapter 1. You know, it said that if you will observe to do all according to all that is commanded you in the law, the book of the law, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, right? But you shall meditate on it day and night, observing to do all that is written therein. And then he says, and you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. And the Lord told me, If they could make their way prosperous and have good success off of five books, how much more can we make our way prosperous and have good success off of 40? Come on. We we have only gained in content today. We are of no excuse in 2021. Not only do we have more of the Bible than they did in the Bible, we have greater ease of access to it than anybody has ever had on this planet. And I'll even say geographically, we have greater access to it. I remember Miles Monroe, when he first started ministering the kingdom back uh, in the United States, the kingdom message, Dr. Miles Monroe, in the early 90s, he brought it to the United States. He's from the Bahamas. And he said that the reason why Americans had the hardest time, of all the nations he preached to, Americans had the hardest time receiving the kingdom message. And he, it, it began to real, he began to realize there's some, there's some barriers you're going to have to break down in the United States of America. Number one, their form of government is too much freedom. They get to vote. They have a, a, a right to say and a right to choose and, and their civil liberties and, and all the freedoms that they enjoy. A lot of the things we enjoy as Americans go directly against kingdom living and kingdom thinking. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying that you're going to have a hard time processing the word of God and God's original plan with the kingdom of God if we apply our Americanized thinking to it. But the second thing he, he, he noticed was that we that there were um, uh, Christian radio stations everywhere. Numerous amounts. This was in the 90s. There were TV, net, there were Christian TV networks in the United States. Actual networks that only played ministry and teaching. Tr- Trinity Broadcasting Network and, and all these other networks that, you know, there's numerous amounts of them now. And he said, in these other countries, they don't have this ease of access. They don't have this much content so easily accessible. And so he realized that's another barrier. Because sometimes when you have an overabundance of something, it creates less of a value for it. And so these are the things that we have to be careful of as believers in the kingdom of God. Is that we don't allow things in our world to lower our value for his word. This word is just as precious today as it was when it was being penned by the apostles and the disciples and the prophets and, the, and all the individuals that God used to write this book. Over 40 different authors. 
40 different books in here. Every single one of them is still completely relevant and applicable to your life today. Not one letter of that book is irrelevant, outdated, antiquated, no longer uh, uh, has any purpose in the earth today. It's just historical. No, every single word in this book. And they've tried to destroy this book. They've tried to get rid of the Bible, and they never could. In fact, it only produced more. But it still contains the same value today that it did thousands of years ago when it was penned. And so we're talking about placing that value. We're talking about giving the Lord that honor. And meditation, time, investing time in the word is a great way to honor the word and get the results of the word in our lives. Last week, we uh, began to look at this idea of dishonor. If I can honor the word, that also means that I can dishonor the word. And the word that we see repeatedly in the Bible is this word despise. Despise. And I'll give you the definition once again here for despise. It means this. It means to reject, to refuse, to make of no account. It means to regard as nothing. When I despise something, I'm counting it as worthless and unimportant. These are the definitions for the word despise. In our English language, it means this. The Webster's defines it as to look down or think down upon. To look down or think down upon. To think lower of. Again, to discount, to discredit, to, to, to cast aside, to disregard. I mean, you could use any uh, uh, of these synonyms that would uh, give you a, bigger, uh, a better picture of what it means to despise. And when we despise the word of God, then it has no value in our life. It, it, it cannot produce, the word that you despise cannot produce any results in your life. And so we saw several passages that talked about what it is to despise the word. We saw uh, in Romans chapter 1, I don't have it you know, for you, but you can just jot it down again to review. But in Romans chapter 1 verse 21, it says, even though they knew God as the creator, they did not honor him as God. So this isn't about knowing something. This isn't about information. This isn't about gaining knowledge. This is about gaining value. I can gain knowledge without gaining value. I can gain knowledge in the word of God without gaining any value for it. And so if I'm going to have the word gain value in my life and produce in my life, I have to honor it. I want to give you three examples tonight in the word of God. There's obviously many, many more. But I'm going to give you three examples, or you can even put it this way, three forms of despising God's word. Three forms, three ways, three examples of people in the word of God that despise the word of God. Because here's the thing. And as I was beginning to look at these, I said, man, I've got to be careful because I think there's times I despised the word of God and didn't know I was despising the word of God. I thought I valued the word, but then when I began to look at some of these examples, I began to say, you know what? I, I've, I've done that. I've done that. And maybe unintentionally I've despised or rejected or refused or counted as worthless the word of God. 
And so I want to look at three examples. The first example I want to give you is found in Numbers chapter 13. The first example I want to give you is found in Numbers chapter 13. And just to give you some backstory, Numbers chapter 13, we have the Israelites in the wilderness. We go here so many times, probably 92% of you in the room are like, I know, where are you going? The, ten, the 12 spies, yet we already got it. You got the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Moses has led them out. They came out of Egypt, right? They're wandering in the wilderness. And God says, okay, here's the promised land. I want you to send in 12 spies, 12 leaders, one from each tribe. Send them into the land. I want you to survey the land. I want you to review the land. I want you to see the land. And then I want you to come back, bring a report to the rest of Israel, the rest of the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, and formulate a plan to go in and take the promised land. Remember, it was the promised ED, past tense, right? The promised land, it's already theirs. So we've said this before. God isn't sending them in to determine if they're going to take the land. He's sending them in to determine how they're going to take the land. You know, God is sending us into situations not to see if it's his will, but to determine how to take it. And so, therefore, what you see is not supposed to limit or hinder your belief that God can do it. In Numbers chapter 13 and verse 25, it says this. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here is the kind of fruit it produces. Verse 28, but the people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. And we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. So they come back with this report, and they start off, okay, they start off identifying all the things that God had promised, a land flowing with milk and honey, a bountiful, flourishing land. This is the place, and of course, you know, in your mind, you're, you're just picturing this beautiful countryside you're picturing this beautiful territory and you're picturing all the good stuff right isn't it funny that god failed to mention the enemies that live there the giants that live there how abundant the and, and then all of a sudden they start seeing all the wrong things and they start giving a report of all the negative start giving a report of all the bad they did not discount or discredit what they saw on the good side. They just gave more focus and attention to what they saw on the bad side. Well, these 10 spies, these 10 leaders have now motivated, or I would even like to say have manipulated the children of Israel into only seeing something from a negative standpoint. And verse 30 says, but Caleb tried to quiet the people 
as they stood before Moses. Look at his report. Let's go at once to take. He's not even considering what they saw. He's not taking into consideration uh, all the, the bad report. He's not even saying, no, none of that's true. They're lying to you. Uh, you know, that it's not that bad. He, he's not even given that focus. He just says, let's go take it. Let's go get this thing. He's immediately trying to move them over to, hey, hey, don't, don't give that, don't, don't, don't give that airtime. Don't, don't focus on that. This is our land. God said this is our, let's go get it. He said, let's go up at once and take the land. He said, we can certainly conquer it. In fact, he's actually establishing everything they're saying is true, but we are still able to take it. He's not saying, you know, uh, uh, they're lying to you. He's just saying, even in the midst of that, it's still our land and we can go take this land. Well, by that time, the damage was done. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we. Now, look, they have already taken on an assumption about themselves versus the people in this land. Now they are actually taking on an identity. It goes on to say, verse 32, that they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. I mean, you see this thing just spiraling on down. Not only did they see the bad guys, they assumed they are bigger and stronger than we are. Then they even went a step further and said, this is what they think about us. Are you kidding me? What'd you do? Go interview a giant? Would you go ask them? Hey, what do you think about us? Just, you know, first glance, just real quick. First thing off the top, what do we look like to you? Grasshoppers, that's what I was thinking too. Wait, what, did they have a conversation? No, they had a conversation in their mind. They entertained something, even to the point that they assumed what their enemy thought of them. Even to the point that they assumed we're just grasshoppers in their sight. That's what they think. Isn't that amazing? That they allowed, you know how they got there? Think time. How do you arrive at that? Think time. They entertained it. And they dwelled on it. And they meditated on it. And we even saw this word when we define meditate to utter. They probably even muttered it to themselves. Man, we just think we're grasshoppers to these guys. I'm serious. I'm serious. They're going through the land. Man, this is a, this is a big land. This this land swallows us up. They, you know, this isn't the, the the when they're giving this report to the children. That's not the first time they're saying it. They've been saying it to themselves so long now. They've convinced themselves, and now they have no problem convincing somebody else. Caleb, you know where he got his report from the word of the Lord, and you know what he chose to do. 
I'm going to meditate on the word. In spite of what I see, in spite of what's around me, this man, this, this, and he admitted we can conquer it, which means it's something to be conquered. But he chose to give think time to God's word, even in the midst of the challenge. I saw the same giants. I saw the flourishing land. I saw that it's massive. I saw that it's bountiful. I saw that, that, that it swallows it. I saw those things. But I'm going to choose to give think time to God's word. This is our land. He promised it to us. We are well labeled. And, and I, I could just see Joshua and Caleb. Joshua was the other one that got the, had the good report. I could just see them walking through the land thinking, man, we, we can conquer this. We can take this. This ain't too much. Remember, God, God gave us, God promised us this land. We've been standing on this promise for generation after generation after generation. When we were slaves in, in Egypt, this is what, man, look at this land. This is amazing. Man, when we overthrow this, when we take this thing, they were uttering it. They were saying it to them. They were giving it think time. They stayed fixed on the word of God. They stayed planted on the word of God. So here it is, number one, a form of dishonoring God. Is failing to stand on his word when challenges arise. A form of dishonoring God, number one, is failing to stand on his word when challenges arise. That's a form of dishonoring, despising God's word. Giving the, giving the bad report greater focus than God's report. Ultimately, how do we fix this? We never allow what we see to be greater than what God said. We never allow what we see to be greater than what God said. His word stands forever. His word remains true. And even if you go into a land, go into a territory, that he's promised you, that he's given you access to. Even if you go into that land, I don't, I don't care if you're standing for healing, standing for financial breakthrough, standing for a breakthrough in your marriage, standing for your children, uh, standing for your business, whatever it is, you're going to face a challenge. If you haven't faced challenges in life, you're doing something wrong. Can I just put it that way? You, you, you're doing, there's, you broke something. You missed, you missed the, you're not doing this right. No, you will face challenges. His word doesn't bow to your challenge. Your challenge bows. He put inside of you a giant killer. He put in you a land taker. He is the way maker. He is the miracle worker. That is who he is. And nothing changes that. And he's always ready and able to work on your behalf. But it's about what are you fixing your attention on? What are you meditating on? What are you uttering under your breath? Are you taking on the, the, the challenge and it's becoming a part of your vocabulary now? I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I'm never going to see this marriage restored. He's never going to treat me right. I'm never going to be able to respond properly. I'm never going to be able to break this anxiety. I'm never going to be able to. You start saying those things. Guess what? You're giving it think time. You're meditating on it. It's literally what you're doing. You know what's crazy about this is you're making the principle work just in the opposite direction. <laughs> Meditation and think time 
See, if if up to this point, does that does that really work? Thinking on the Word of God, is that really you make it work all the time? You're getting results in your life based on what you're uttering and muttering and 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 saying under your breath. My back's never going to get healed. I'm never going to I'm never going to get that promotion. I don't think he ever is going to notice me. You're saying stuff. You're meditating. You're thinking on it, and you're getting it. So let's just flip it. Let's turn it around. Turn it around. Start speaking by his word. By his stripes, I am healed. If I set my mind on him, he will bring me to perfect peace. He gives his beloved sleep. Man, if you're having a hard time falling asleep, staying asleep, speak the word. He wants you to get rest in your life. I'm serious. Meditate. So a form of dishonoring God's word or a form of dishonoring God is failing to stand on his word when challenges arise. That's number one. Number two, Mark chapter six. Number two, Mark chapter six. Stay with the word. Mark chapter six. This is an interesting one because. You're going to see a real interesting contrast here. It's going to take dishonoring to a whole nother level. Sometimes we think we dishonor or we despise when we don't see it. Right? But in this instance, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus comes back to his own hometown, comes back to Nazareth. And he's been doing signs and wonders and miracles and, and ministering and all these different things. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. And the next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue. And look at this. Many who heard him were amazed. And they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles so they have both heard and seen the miraculous work of god operating through the man jesus okay so let's let's get that clear this is god's work operating through jesus okay we go on it says in verse three that they scoffed he's just a carpenter the son of mary and the brother of james joseph judas and simon and his sisters live right here among us. Look at what it says here. They were deeply offended and refused. Remember, that's one of the definitions of despise, to refuse and to reject. They refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family and because of their unbelief it says he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and healed them that's the only occurrence we have in matthew mark luke and john where it doesn't say and jesus healed them all or jesus healed all their sickness and all of their disease or jesus healed all that were in it this is the only time that we see him not perform to that degree and the reason why in verse 5 it says because of their unbelief notice they had nothing to do with jesus 
It, he, you know, it wasn't because he didn't have his Wheaties that morning. It wasn't because he wasn't feeling powerful and miraculous. Woke up on the wrong side of the bed that day. No, it said because of their unbelief. He could do no mighty work except place his hands on a few sick people. And then verse 6 says, and he was amazed at their unbelief. In this case, the interesting part about it is that they saw the miracles, signs and wonders. They heard the amazing, powerful teaching. Despising is not based on what you receive and what you're a part of. You can be right in the middle of a move of God and still despise it, still reject it, still refuse it. I've seen this happen, that people will deny the hand of God in operation, even when it's been so tangible, it's been so evident, it's been so real. You cannot deny the power of God was in operation that day. You cannot deny this was a move of the Spirit of God. This was not man-made. This was not put on. This was not conjured up. This was God, and there will still be somebody that'll say, "Ah, I don't know if I believe it. And the focus here is they did not place value on the vessel God used. It specifically says that the reason why they got offended at Jesus was because he was one of their own. It specifically says that they immediately related him to his parents, to his brothers, to his sisters. They related him as one of them. Isn't he from Nazareth? He's from right here. Oh, that, that's Jesus. I went to school with him. Hey, hey, Jesus. Hey, he, he, he built my dining table. Right? So the travesty here, number two, a form of dishonoring God is failing to receive the man of God due to familiarity and unbelief. A form of dishonoring God, number two, is failing to receive the man of God due to familiarity and unbelief. In this moment, they dishonored God, dishonored his word, dishonored his signs and his wonders because of who God used. And they could not reconcile that this powerful thing was taking place through this individual that's one of us. And so this second form of dishonoring, now look, we're not just talking about ministers. How many times have we dishonored the person that God wants to use in our life? Maybe our spouse. Maybe our children. See, vessels. Vessels. Jesus was but a vessel. And because they dishonored the vessel, they did not receive the product. They did not receive the miracle, even when they saw it in demonstration. Because of their unbelief, they dishonored and they despised and they refused and they rejected. See, this is why honor has to be placed not just with God, 
We know that God deserves the honor and God receives the honor. But we have to be careful how we dishonor each other. And the ones that we have the greatest risk of dishonoring are the ones that are the closest to us. Or the ones that we know the most about. Yep. I'm just letting you know. The ones that you run the greatest risk of becoming offended with or offended at are the closest ones to you. Rarely do you become offended with a stranger. They don't know you, you don't know them. No, the closer the relationship, the greater the offense or the risk of it. And so we see here another form of dishonoring God is by dishonoring the vessels that God is using to move and to speak in our lives, to direct our life. Could we receive direction from a spouse? Could we receive direction even from our children? Or would we despise them? Could we receive it from somebody we know? Could you, or or, or do we put up walls? They're too young. They're too quiet. They're too bold. They're too this. They're too that. Come on, we all have our little boxes that we put people in. You know who else got offended with Jesus? Another scenario, woman at the well. She despised him initially. It wasn't until he started naming some stuff in her life. I perceive that you are a prophet. Oh, really? You were just arguing with me about living water. She despised him. Well, who are you, a Jewish man? She put the box on Jesus. And so it created a separation. Look, we, we, we live in a culture, we, we dishonor more than we honor. Dishonor is, is, is the natural the degeneration and the natural digression of mankind is we find what to divide over more than what to unite over. That's the natural progression. It takes kingdom people and kingdom thinking to, to tear down the walls and tear down the barriers and tear down the lids. And te- remember, remember what we just preached on, on Sunday with David? Eliab couldn't receive from David, his older brother. What are you doing out here? Shouldn't you be? That's the next anointed king, sir. You saw me get anointed. You were there. I'm not just the little brother that's supposed to be tending sheep. It's dishonor. And when you dishonor something, you immediately cut off the supply of what it could provide to your life. And that's what happened in this case. The only time Jesus couldn't heal all. And he marveled. He amazed. He was amazed at their unbelief. A form of dishonoring God is failing to receive the man of God, the vessel that God wants to use in your life due to familiarity and unbelief. The third one that I want to get to, number three, is found in Acts chapter 27. So far in number one, we saw that there's a form of dishonoring God where we fail to stand on his word when challenges arise. Secondly, we saw that we dishonor God when we fail to receive the man or the vessel that God is wanting to use in our lives. In Acts chapter 3, verse, uh, Acts chapter 27, sorry, Acts chapter 27, 
We see a story here where Paul, towards the end of his, his life and the end of his journey, is on a ship to be taken back to Rome to stand trial. And uh, on this voyage, um, he and several other prisoners are on this boat, and they begin to face some weather conditions. And Paul, by the Spirit of God, speaks up. And I want to pick up here in verse 9, Acts chapter 27, verse 9. On this boat, by the way, we've got an owner of the boat. We've got a captain of the boat. Uh, They've got a Roman centurion that's identified as a leader. And then we've got Paul, who's a prisoner. Paul has no voice. Paul has no input. He's just a, a lousy prisoner. He's just one of the prisoners on the boat. But Paul speaks up in verse 9. It says, now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them. Remember, he's a prisoner. They're not leaning on him for any kind of direction. They're not leaning on him as any kind of special leadership or insight or man of God. He just speaks up boldly. He says to the centurion, men, I perceive. That's all I'm going off of, perception. Which in this moment means I sense by the spirit of God. He's not just, yeah, there's a storm coming. My right knee's going crazy over here. It's about to rain. I feel it. No, he perceives by the Spirit of God. We're about to head into some dangerous. We need to, we need to hold off. Man, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. Verse 11, nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded Highlight that, underline it, circle it, whatever. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman, the captain, and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul, the prisoner. They were more persuaded. And also, verse 12, because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, The majority advised, look at that, the majority advised to set sail from there also if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. So Paul senses by the Spirit of God, danger is approaching, danger is ahead, and we need to stay put where we are. If we continue on with this voyage, we're going to end up in a very dangerous situation that will end in disaster and much loss, he says. Again, perception, he's getting this by the Spirit of God, by the direction and the leading of the Holy Spirit, and that alone. He doesn't have any intellect in this area. He doesn't have any experience. He's not, you know, I've I've captained many boats and I've done this for. Now, he was a tent maker and he was a Pharisee. He has no, he's just going simply based off of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Because all great leaders are first great followers of the Holy Spirit. You don't want to follow a leader that doesn't follow the Holy Spirit. Any leader must become proficient at following the Holy Spirit. And Paul was that. Paul was 
very proficient in following the leading of the Holy Spirit. So as he's speaking here, he, he has enough conviction on the inside, I need to bring this to somebody. He brings it to the centurion. The centurion takes it to the captain and the owner, and then the majority as well. They all advise that, can't, that guy is crazy. Of course he doesn't want us to go anywhere. He's a prisoner. He's headed to go to jail. He's headed to, of course, yeah. oh, surprise, the prisoner wants us to stall out here, Right? And they decide to voyage on, continue going. Well, if you know the story, they end up in great destruction. The weather gets crazy. It turns out to be really bad. And I want you to jump down to verse 21. Acts chapter 27, verse 21. But after long abstinence from food, Then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. Isn't that the the best feeling in the world? But here's the thing. If Paul hadn't stood up before, he wouldn't be able to stand up now. If you don't stand up when it goes against all the odds, you don't have a voice to speak up later and save their lives. It was because he had the boldness and the conviction to stand up in the first place, even when nobody had any reason to give him any kind of respect or honor or value to his words and to his input, to give any care to what he, he spoke up anyways. I know on the inside, I perceive by the Holy Spirit and by the voice of God, if we continue to voyage on, this will end in much disaster and much loss. He spoke up. They rejected the word. That's fine. Now he's speaking up and says, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. In essence, he's saying, the reason you're going to live is because I have to get to where I'm going, and you're the people getting me there. You're lucky I'm here. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God me however we must run aground on a certain island and he also gives instructions that if they don't follow these instructions we lose everything do not lose one because you know uh, what they would do is in these instances they would let go of all the cargo well in this case the prisoners were just as uh, 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 devalued as cargo and they would have thrown the prisoners off to save their lives But the word of the Lord said, you cannot lose one life. If we lose one life, we lose it all. But he would not have had that voice of instruction and direction in their lives had he not spoken up the first time. But here's the form of dishonoring that we have to be careful of. A form of dishonoring God, number three, is trusting our natural experience over the leading of the Holy Spirit. Number three, a form of dishonoring God. Look, guys, we can all get competent. We can all get acclimated. We can all get 
good at what we do naturally in our own gifts and abilities and experiences, but they are never to be trusted over the Holy Spirit. And we dishonor, we despise, we reject, we refuse God and his word when we trust our natural ability and resources over God. That is a form of dishonoring God. That is a form of rejecting his word. Again, these, these are, are cases where we all can look inward. We can all identify, man, I, I, I've done that. I've put more trust in my bank account than I have in God's word to give or to sow or to be generous or to do this or do. I, I've put, put more trust in my ability to accomplish something on my, my gifts and my talents rather than trusting the Lord and trusting the leading of the Holy Spirit. So in these three forms, number one, dishonoring God by failing to stand on the word when challenges arise. Number two, dishonoring God by failing to receive the man of God or the vessel of God that he uses. And number three, dishonoring God by trusting my natural experience and resources over the leading of the Holy Spirit. These are three ways we can check ourselves. We can look inward and say, am I despising God's word? Am I despising God's word by not valuing the vessel that he sent into my life? Sometimes we miss the blessing of God because we don't like the avenue he chooses. We don't like the person he uses. We don't like how he got it done. But that's not up to us. Sometimes we, we, we despise the word of God when we know the promise, we know what his word says, but then the challenge arises and it becomes bigger to us than what his word said, and we have to make his word bigger than the challenge around us. And then sometimes we dishonor God because we place more trust in experience and resource and our abilities rather than following the leading of the Holy Spirit. I tell you what, the Holy Spirit knows how to get you out of your comfort zone. He, he, he's proud of you and your growth and your competency and your development and how much you have, have developed yourself, even in natural abilities. But he knows how to stretch you beyond and say, okay, you're getting too comfortable in that box there. You're good at that, but you're too good. I need to move you out here. You've grown to this level. I need to use you here. He'll do it. We want to make sure we honor God and his word in these instances. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.